Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Psalm 53 is a real short psalm, and it says here, The fool has said in his heart, verse 1, that there is no God, and they are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There's no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there's anyone who understands, anyone who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul, the apostle, he quotes this very passage in the book of Romans. Verse 10, 11, and 12. Let me go on and read 4 to 6 of Psalm 53. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge who eat up my people as though they ate bread? Have they not called upon God? They were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Well, turn to Psalm 14. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together, they've all become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Guess what? They're word for word the same. And then you go on, verse 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they have great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. If these seem similar, it's because there is only one line different in the two Psalms. They are almost word for word, and that's only because of our translators. In the Hebrew, they're really, really close. So here, I just crack up. I'm like, hey, there's a typo. And no, is it a typo? If the Bible repeats itself, the same exact passage, and this passage is quoted a third time in the New Testament in Romans chapter 3, sometimes we learn by repetition. Sometimes we need to hear something over. And the Lord wants you to hear it because how many are there that are good? How many are there that do good continually? The seek after God all the time. He says there's none. There is not one. In Romans chapter 3, Paul uses this, well, I don't care which one you want to choose for, for your reference verses. If you want to use Psalm 53 or you want to use Psalm 14, they're exactly the same. Paul, a man who was called a Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew the scripture. And he uses in chapter 3 of Romans these very passages to say there's nobody that seeks after God. There's nobody that's righteous because they were born good and stayed good their whole life. No, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A lot of people know Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they don't know that the verses that it's predicated upon is Psalm 14 or a.k.a. Psalm 53. You could put that in. I just put it as a little a.k.a. also known as Psalm 53 because they're the same. And so we see here, he says that this is the very premise. He says, 
because none of us is righteous, none of us does good all the time, then our righteousness is by faith in Jesus. Not because of our perfection, but because of his perfection. This must be important. If God would repeat this idea twice in the Psalms and again in the book of Romans, he must want us to pay attention. You know, sometimes some people come to me and they say, oh, well, you know, when kids are born, they're born innocent. There's no sin in them. And I said, you obviously have not worked with kids. Because if you worked with little ones, and if you want to see that we have a fallen nature and you really don't need coaching to be selfish, just put two kids with one toy in a room and watch the fight break out. And if the toy is sitting off to the side and they don't notice it, everything is fine until one of them decides they want to play with it. And as soon as the one picks it up, what's the other one want? Give it to me. And their fallen nature, their selfishness comes out right away. We don't teach it to them. They come with it. It's built in. And Paul made that argument. We came with sin. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus. And so this very idea is laid out in the Psalms and repeated in the Psalms and repeated in Romans. So we would get it through our head. There's no one righteous. There's no one that seeks after God continually. It's only Jesus himself who did that. And that's why we want to look to him. This is a really important foundational truth that we need for our faith that we know there's no perfect people, right? None of us are perfect. So let's start with that as our premise and look to the one who is perfect, God's provision, Jesus, so we can get our salvation. Because at the end of this psalm, he says, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Who's the savior that came out of Zion? Jesus. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Now see, this was written before Jesus came. So when the Messiah comes, when the Savior comes, salvation comes, oh, that'll be a day to rejoice. That's what David was saying in this psalm. And by the way, David prophesied a lot of things in his psalms about the coming of the Messiah. God's spirit poured out things through David that were just beautiful. Now the next psalm, Psalm 54, is a psalm I really want to zoom in on tonight because this one speaks to my heart. And if you have any desire to be used in the ministry to help in leadership, this is a really important psalm for leaders to study because this psalm was written in a time when, well, Saul had sinned as we studied in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. Well, actually a couple chapters prior, we looked all the way back to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. We saw that Saul had not obeyed the Lord fully as the leader of Israel. And God said, because you didn't obey me, I'm going to take away you as the king, and I'm going to give it to a man more righteous than you, one that is right with me. It says David was a man after God's own heart. Not that he was perfect, but that his heart was after the Lord. He wanted to, to seek the Lord. And David writes this psalm. I don't know if any of you have this at the beginning of Psalm 54. Some of you may have a little note that tells you that this was written when David was trying to flee from Saul. Saul was chasing him, and he had gone off to the, well, we would say like the enemy's camp, the Ziphites. He was over there, and they're going to tattle on him to Saul. They're going to say, hey, aren't you looking for David? You want to kill him? He's with us. You know, they're, they're like going to hand him over to Saul and rat him out. But God has chosen David to be the next king. And if you're called to leadership, and the present leadership is in office, 
they might not like the idea that you're going to get to wear their mantle. They might not like you getting to take over their position. And Saul certainly did not want another guy to replace him. He was the first king of all the tribes of Israel. Before that, they only had the prophets. They never had a king. The people said, we want to be like all the other people and have our own king. That was a big mistake, by the way, in Israel's part. They had God for their king up to that point. I mean, he didn't charge taxes. He didn't make them have a rough life. And they wanted to trade in God for a man. The prophet was, he was pierced. He was like, oh, God, what is wrong with these people? They don't want you for their king. And God said, let them have their way, but tell them what they're going to pay. And they're going to pay with their daughters. They're going to pay with their crops from their fields. They're going to pay taxes to the king. They're going to pay to have his kingdom. They're going to pay with their horses. This is going to cost them. I never charged to be their king, the Lord is saying. But this man who they want to have as king, go ahead, give them their way. You know, sometimes we stomp our feet and we went, I want it my way. God goes, okay. But let me tell you, you getting it your way isn't always the best way. Sometimes we don't see what he sees. And they got a man as a king, a man who didn't obey the Lord. And so the Lord went, okay, I'm taking you out. The anointing is called of God to be the king was going to be transferred from Saul to David. But during this time when God is transferring the anointing to David, Saul is not happy. He's out to kill David. We left him in chapter 22 when when we were looking back at 1 Samuel 22, we saw that David had 400 men that had gathered to him. Were they the good guys, the 400 men that he got, do you recall? They were the discontent, the ones that were in debt, the ones that were Well, let's just say the rebel rousers. It was like Robin Hood and the Merry Men, Big John and all those guys. He had all the misfits gathered to David. He had 400. But tonight I want to show you, by the time he's running from Saul, just a couple chapters later, I have to show you the background, what happened, so that this psalm makes sense to you. It's only a short one. It's only seven verses long. But Psalm 54, David wrote it after this part. I found in 1 Samuel 23. So if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 23, verse 19, it says, Then David and his men, they arose and departed from Kelalah. David had gone down to fight for this guy because the Philistines were plundering Kelah's floor. They were going to his threshing floor. You know, after he did all the work, gathered in all the wheat, beat it out, got it all down to the, you know, once you get rid of all the chaff and the stalks and you got just the wheat, and the corn, whatever crops he had brought in. Kelah gets his crops all into the threshing floor, gets it all done, and the Philistines would come in and steal it. They wouldn't bother growing stuff. they just wait till the Israelites grew it all and then go pounce on them and take it. So David and his men heard that they were doing this to him, and he asked the Lord, should I go help him? And the Lord said, yeah, go help him. The anointing is now transferring to David. You go help that man. And so he went down and he fought against the Philistines. Now remember, the daughters of Israel start singing a song that Saul slayed his thousands, but David slayed his tens of thousands. So David is starting to step up into leadership in the sense of he's a protector of the people. So he goes and he fights and basically he delivers them from the hands of the Philistines. The Lord tells him, you're going to win the battle against the the bad guys. And the Philistines, and you're going to rescue him. So he goes, but then 
the word came to Saul in this chapter, chapter 23, that David was there. David knew Saul was plotting evil against him, verse 9 tells us. So he asked Abiathar, the priest, to bring in the ephod. The ephod was the breastplate thing that the priest wore. Bring that in. Um, I want you to discern for me of the Lord. Ask the Lord, are these guys going to come to the city and destroy it on account of me being here? Is Saul going to destroy a city just because I helped him? And the priest answered him in verse 11, yeah. And he says, and are the men of Kelech, they're going to hand me over to Saul? And the priest asked the Lord, hey, Lord, is it going to happen? He's like, yep, they're going to betray you. You know, you just saved them, but they're going to betray you. Now, we would never think that someone that you just helped out would turn around and stab you in the back, right? But if you've been in leadership, you know this is oftentimes the case. Men in leadership for the Lord, sometimes they get stabbed in the back. And some of the veterans, I can recognize them right away. If they're walking in front of me, I can see all the knife wounds in the back, all of the, the backstabs they've taken for the gospel. And the, the hard part is, it's not the enemy, it's not the Philistines that stab in the back. The Philistines stab you in the front. It's the people you go to help. And I want you to know this because there's going to be times you go to help somebody and they're going to wind up stabbing you in the back. Happened to David. As he's being raised up by the Lord to be a great deliverer, delivers them from the Philistines, the very guys he delivers, the priest says, they're going to turn you over into Saul's hands. They're going to betray you. And there's nothing worse than being betrayed by someone you just helped out. But it will happen. But here it says that then David said, verse 13, he took his men when the Lord told them this is going to happen. Now 600 of them. So they went from 400 to discontents to 600 in just a couple chapters. And so when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kela, he gave up the pursuit. So David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. This is where the next part comes down, where we're going to see the chapter of Psalm 54 when he's going to write it. So Saul, it says, the end of verse 14, 1 Samuel 23, 14 says, Then Saul sought David every day. You ever had someone that was on your case chasing you every day, looking to kill you every day? You say, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be in leadership? Yeah, let me just tell you what happens. As soon as you get that mantle put on you, you're going to have somebody chasing you every day to want to kill you. Well, David's now got the mantle shifted to him, and who's he have attacking him every day? The guy who had the mantle before him. You never would think of this, or I wouldn't. I would always think if you're going to have a guy who was the leader and he's going to hand over the ministry to the next guy in line, that it would be a smooth transition and there'd be no problem. Except that there's that pride that gets involved with the guy who's leading. He has a hard time letting go sometimes. And Saul had a really hard time. So we read in verse 15, Now David was aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while he was there in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish, and he encouraged him. And thus he said, do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. 
Then it says the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jessamon? And now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so. Our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hands. Nice Ziphites, huh? They're like, hey, you're looking for the guy? Just come on down. We'll turn him over to you. Saul said, may you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go now and make more sure and investigate and see his place where his haunt is and who is with him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty and I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Then they arose, went to Ziph before Saul. Now David, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, all the thousands of Judah, just so you know, the tribe of Judah was south of, we say Jerusalem area to the south. Okay, so you know geographically, because they each tribe got their own inheritance in the promised land. So these guys are just the area with Jerusalem proper and down toward the south of it. And so they're in the wilderness to the south of that. Just to the south of that is where David fought against Goliath and took Goliath's head. So he's kind of down in that region, the hills, hiding down there. And I only point this out because is he hiding in the enemy's area or in Israel? He's in Judah, which is part of Israel. So his own brethren, who he just delivered, who he had to run away from the one fellow he just helped to these guys, and now he's hiding amongst the people of Judah, and they're going to turn him over to Saul. They're going to betray him. I mean, they're Israelites. They're Jewish people. You would think he'd be safe with fellow Jews that he's fought for, that he's saved. He delivered them. In fact, you would think that since this is like just to the south where they just had that battle with Goliath, and he saved the whole nation right in front of them, that they'd be saying, our hero, David, let me just tell you, you do one heroic act, save the whole country, and they forget you just within a really short span. Doesn't take much time till people's memory goes kaput. They forgot all about the good deeds you did, and now they're willing to turn you over to the guy who's not even following the Lord anymore, and God is saying, you're out. So here's what happens. I love this one. I'm sorry. This is such a sweet story so that you know the background to the psalm we're going to study. Then it says they arose. They went before Saul and David and his men were in the wilderness of Moen in the Arabah, the, the desert part to the south of Jessamon. Now David and his men went in to seek him. And they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went out on the one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. They could look across the valley at each other as they're running, okay? And Saul's men are pursuing and closing in. They're not too far away from each other. If they had modern art artillery, they probably could just get a sniper to shoot across the valley and hit him. But they didn't. Remember, they had slings and arrows. Too far to do that, but close enough that you can see the guy. Like, you see him right on the other side of the hill. You're like, there he is. Get him, get him. And so they're running along the hillsides, and the other army is crossing and pursuing. They're closing in. As the valley comes closer, they're closing in, and David is hurrying, it says, to get away with his men. But a messenger, now look at this, as they're hurrying to seize him, verse 27 says, but a messenger came to Saul 
and said, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. And therefore they called that place the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. And that's over by the Dead Sea. He went just over the hills over into the region of En Gedi. And there's some caves there in En Gedi with some springs. Beautiful for hikers. When you're a real serious hiker, that's a fun hike to do up into the caves where David hung out in the caves of En Gedi. How did David get saved from Saul at this particular juncture? He's on one side of the hill. They're on the other side. They're pursuing. And what happens? A messenger comes and says, conveniently, by coincidence, right? Hey, Saul, the Philistines are attacking. Now, David just fought off the Philistines from the other guy. And just to let you know, the Philistines are still not given up. They come and attack because Saul is too busy and too preoccupied chasing David. And they look at it as, ah, opportunity. There's too much fighting amongst their own departments. We'll just go attack their land while they're fighting. And so Saul has to cut off the pursuit and return to fight against the Philistines. And David is saved. And this is when he writes Psalm 54, these seven beautiful verses. He writes this. He says, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. He says, hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me and violent men have sought my life. Who's the violent men? Saul and his men seeking his life. They have not set God before them. Isn't that sad? Saul and his men had not sought the Lord. Behold, he says, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. And we just studied on Sunday that beautiful Psalm, Psalm 19, where we saw that the Lord is the restorer, David said, of his soul. Now he says he's the sustainer to keep you held Keep your soul hanging in there. He said, oh, the Lord sustained me that day. Because he knew there's Saul barreling down on him with his army. And the Lord did this miraculous thing. It says, he will recompense the evil to my foes. He said, destroy them in your faithfulness, God. Willingly, I sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you, it says, have delivered me from all my trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. He got to look across the hill at Saul while Saul is pursuing him and see Saul have to turn around and go back. He doesn't know what we get to know because we got the record right here. We get to find out why Saul turned around because the Philistines were attacking. We know kind of the behind the scenes. David said, God, you sustained my soul. They were pursuing me. It was getting to... A bad place here. And some people say, well, God waits to the last minute. You know, have you ever heard that? Sometimes the Lord comes through at the last minute. It's not his last minute. We feel like it's the last minute. Oh God, hurry, save me, save me. When are you going to do something? I'm running on the hill. Look, they're right there. They're right there. Wait a minute. They're not chasing. What's going on? And all of a sudden you see him turn around and go the other way. David went, the Lord fought for me. David says, the Lord has delivered me from all trouble. This is a very good thing to learn. David did know this. All our troubles, the Lord delivers us from our troubles. This is what I want you to remember. When we face stuff, even though we don't know what the Lord will do against our enemies or how he'll take care of it, 
He has ways. He has so many ways. That's why I like to read the background to the story to see how did he save David this day? Well, he just let the Philistines attack. And he let the people call, not on David, not like the other fella did, you know, that was in trouble. And David saw the Philistines. David actually saw the Philistines attacking his brethren. And he said, Lord, should I go help him? David's got 600 men. He's like, should we go fight for him? Lord says, yep, do it. I'm with you. Now, the Lord uses the very same enemy, the Philistines, to make Saul turn around. Because the people go, hey, Saul, you know, David's doing all the work. He's the one slaying tens of thousands. Aren't you the king? Shouldn't you get in the fight? By the way, Israel was told it's the king who's supposed to lead the battle. Not like you see some regimes where they stick their guys out as puppets in front of them. In their day, it was the king was to lead the battle. What led the battle before this when they didn't have a man as king? Do you guys remember? In all the fights that Israel went into, they put the priests with the Ark of the Covenant in the front. God's our king. He fights for us. And the people, if you read the stories before this, the enemies of Israel were like, they weren't afraid of the Israelites. They were afraid of the God of the Israelites. It's like, man, he can fight. and He doesn't fight fair. I mean, he can do stuff like big time stuff. He can make calamities happen. He has ways to take care of. And we just need to remember this because the Lord can deliver us from all our trouble. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.